chapter 13. We're going to look at the Antichrist. It's always difficult for me to teach this chapter. I try to refrain from presidential jokes, but I can't. <laughs> I've been convicted this week. God said you're not supposed to talk bad about the rulers, so I will try to adhere to that. Plus, we're taping this. So. <laughs> All right, Revelation chapter 13. We've been looking at this great book. It's a letter written to the believers in a great time of persecution, so it's circulated around at the churches, and it's written in symbolic language for obvious reasons, because it was to fall in the hands of the Romans, and they were to understand that it says you are going to got a, a king coming, not Caesar, but a king, and it would destroy the Roman Empire. It would not go well. So it talks about the end events, eschatological events. And so we've gone through two sets of judgments, that God's going to purge the earth of evil so the king can come, Christ take his rightful position on the Davidic throne, call men to repentance, and bring Israel to an understanding and belief of Christ. Therefore, the millennial period, the Old Testament period, of which God will remove the curse on the earth and restore man with a perfect body on it to enjoy it with his five senses, can occur. And so you've got sealed judgments we've looked at. You've got trumpet judgments. And what he's done in chapters 12 through about 14, he stops the whole show and he says, let me give you a little background information on the characters that come into play. And last week we looked at the dragon that was mentioned in chapter 12, and that is serpent, the devil, Diabolos, the accuser. And there was a woman that this devil or this dragon is dealing with, and the woman is Israel. And it says that she's about to give birth to a male child, and the dragon stood at the woman waiting to devour the child the moment that it was born. But he was born, however, and we, we see that in history, that that was Herod trying to kill Christ by killing the male children. And it says the child is born, snatched up to the throne of God, and then we see a point in which the woman flees to a place to where she'll be protected, which is Israel, and we see great persecution that comes upon her in this tribulation period, but she goes to a place in the desert and God protects. Now, chapter 13, you're going to have two more characters that come on the scene. We've seen Satan and his role. We see Israel and her role. Natural enmity, we've seen it throughout the ages of the Jews trying to be wiped out by different leaders, and that's Satan trying to do it through these people. But now what we're going to see here is a person in chapter 13 that I don't think anybody on the earth has not heard the term Antichrist. It's only one place in your Bible, 1 John 2.18, where he says, Dear children, uh, we know that the Antichrist is coming, and even now many Antichrists have already come. The word Antichrist simply means someone who is against Christ, anti, or someone who comes claiming to be Christ, or someone who comes deceiving the people claiming Jesus is the Christ. So any one of those definitions will apply. Josephus records when Jesus Christ came, there were 60 people who claimed to be Christ. David Koresh claimed to be Christ. We could have labeled him an anti-Christ. Okay? But we see this one particular man, a governmental leader, that's going to come upon the scene. And he, according to the Bible, is going to do great things. And I'm going to, we're going to go through the Old Testament and kind of look at some of the things that he's going to do. 
The main thing he's going to do is bring about a world peace, a unification, a globalized system. Economically, we're going to see politically, and then we're going to see religiously, and I think in those orders. He is going to hit everybody where it counts the most in their pocketbook. He's going to unite us economically. We'll bring about a great prosperity to the planet. He's going to unite us politically, militarily. So now we've secured peace and secured our borders. And then you're going to see him make an alliance with a religious leader. And so he is going to have religion and government united. One man is going to do this. And people will hail him to be the greatest man in all of history. They will deem him basically to be God himself. And he will claim to be God himself. Okay? So let's take a look. We'll go through the text, look at the symbolism, link it back to Daniel, and then we'll look at the passages and kind of try to piece together the events of this guy's life and what he's going to do. And then we'll try to decide if he is alive today and if he's holding an office of the greatest country in the world. I told you I'd refrain, but you know, it could be China. It could be Russia. All right, watch this. And I saw a beast, 13-1. Says, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. Now, a mongrel beast. A beast, basically, in the Old Testament and in the New, is a governmental system or a person who has no God, who does not follow the things of God, so he's left to his own fleshly desires, meaning that a person or government system without God is like a brute beast. He just follows his own fleshly desires. The sea mentioned here is not the ocean. The sea in the Old Testament is in reference to evil, Gentile nations. I'll just give you some uh, scripture references you can look up later. Isaiah 17:12 and 57:20 talks about the sea being Gentile nations, evil Gentile nations that hold to polytheism, multiple gods, and they don't believe in the God of heaven. So you've got a beast that comes out of the sea. He has ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his head, or on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. And then it says the dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. And then it says, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed, and the whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Now, who is this? You've got some language in there that should sound familiar to you. What is it? Describing this thing, it's got ten horns and seven heads. It, re it resembles a leopard, has feet like those of a bear, and mouth like that of a lion. Where in your Old Testament did we see beasts coming out of a sea, Gentile nations, that look like this. Do you remember? Daniel chapter 7. He had a dream, and it paralleled Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a statue, head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly of bronze, and legs of iron and clay. And that statue, he was told, represents all the world governments that will come into play. Babylonians were the head of gold. The Medo-Persians came and destroyed the Babylonians. Then the Greeks came and destroyed the Medo-Persians, then the Roman Empire destroyed the Greeks. We can see that in history. In the dream, there's a stone that comes and it crushes all the statue, lays it to waste, 
and then this stone grows into a huge mountain and fills the earth. That stone is Christ. He comes and he destroys all the world governments and fills the earth with his kingdom. We can look, and in history, everything happened exactly like that statue predicted, or the dream of the statue predicted. Medo-Persians destroyed the Babylonians, the Greeks destroyed the Medo-Persians, Rome came and crushed everybody, but nobody crushed Rome. The two legs, it was divided, the feet were clay, and you had ten toes. In the third century A.D., the Huns and the Goths, the barbarians came in, sacked Rome, because they were so weak anyway, because of the immorality in the government system. And it dispersed the ten separate identifiable powers. And you don't have one world leader after that from 3rd century A.D. forward. You've just got separate powers. What you're going to see here in this chapter is this guy bringing back together these ten identifiable powers and unifying them once again. And you will see Rome unified, so to speak. It's called the Revised Roman Empire. And you will see the stone come, just like the dream says, Christ, and crush this unified world government and set his kingdom up. But prior to that, this political leader is going to make everybody think this is the greatest thing on the face of the planet, and it will be good. World peace is a good thing, right? A unified, globalized, governmental, military system is a good thing. A unified religion is a good thing on the surface, but unless Christ is behind it and it's all in the name of Christ, it's not a good thing because man will eventually just destroy himself. So why do you think he's got this in here? It links us back with Daniel's dream. He has a dream in which he sees beasts coming out of the Gentile nations. The first beast he sees is a lion. It has wings. The wings are plucked. That's Nebuchadnezzar. He defies God, and God says, you're going to eat ox. You're going to eat straw like an ox. And he goes mad. The next beast that Daniel sees comes up is a bear, and it has one side higher than the other. It's the Medo-Persian Empire. The next beast that comes up is a leopard, and it has four heads and wings. That's the Grecian Empire. Alexander the Great, in three years, swiftly conquered the entire world. That's the idea of the wings. He died of syphilis, and then his kingdom was divided through his four generals, the Ptolemies, Seleucid, uh, and I can't remember the other two. But after that leopard, he saw a beast that came up with iron teeth, and it had ten horns and it devoured everything. But it says one of the horns had eyes, which means it was a man that has knowledge and wisdom, and it had a mouth that blasphemed against God. And then it says the thrones of heaven were set up, and it was judged. This links us back with Daniel's dream. But if you'll notice, this beast has the feet, or it resembles a leopard, the feet of those of a bear, and the mouth like that of a lion. The dream goes lion, bear, leopard. Here, the dream in the New Testament does what? It goes leopard, bear, lion. It shows that the dream in Daniel's time, he's looking forward because the Babylonian rule was in place at the time. He's looking forward to the Medo-Persians, which is the bear, and then the leopard, which is the Grecian Empire, and Rome. Here, he says you've got the beast with the ten horns, seven heads. He's looking back. Before the Roman Empire, what do we have? The Grecian, there's the leopard. Then you've got what? The Medo-Persian, there's the feet like a bear. And then you've got the lion. So it links us back. So isn't that a great key? You can look at the symbolism of Daniel and you apply it here. This was prophesied all the way in Daniel's time. John's looking back and Daniel's looking forward. And it links us. Who is this beast? What 
are the meanings of the ten horns and the seven heads? I'm glad you asked. Great question. Go to Revelation 14, and I will show you. Well, actually, go to 17. Let's go to 17. Now, when you're studying the book of Revelation, don't get frustrated. It's going to take you more than one or two times just going through it to get all this stuff. Just try to take notes like crazy, things that will key off thoughts, and just try to absorb the best you can. If you got questions, you come sit down with me. I, I will sit down for hours with you and teach you the Bible. You're not bothering me. It's what I live for. Okay, I will do it. I office up here on Wednesdays. I'm here from about, I'll get over there about 9 o'clock and I stay till 1. You make an appointment with me, just come on over. We'll just sit and talk Bible. I love it. It's hard to understand, but it's not impossible. God does not write in esoteric language. You don't have to have a certain IQ or be a certain cast of persons to understand the Bible. Okay? But just take some time. The Bible does not yield its fruits to the lazy man. You've got to dig. You've got to get into it. What we've got here in chapter 17 is a woman riding a beast. Let's see. Look at verse 3. The angel carried me, chapter 17, verse 3. The angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. It's the same beast. In chapter 13, same beast in chapter 7 of Daniel. It says there's a woman riding the beast, which means they're unified. The woman here is a false religious system. It is not Israel. It's a harlot. That's what it's referred to. Verse 5, it says the title written on her forehead is Mystery Babylon the Great, the Mother of Prostitutes and the Abominations of the Earth. Now, remember, when we did Tower of Babel, we came to this. We saw that all religious systems that denies God, that tries to build their own way to God, is called Babylon. This woman, her name is Babylon. It is a false religious system that unites itself with this beast, this political leader. Now, she's riding the beast, which means she's in control. You've got a worldwide religious system united with a worldwide political system. It's not the true church. That's another reason I think we're raptured up out of here. That you've got the true Christians out of the way, so now all these false religions can unify all under the name of peace. Forget about doctrinal differences. Let's just all come together and have a pep rally to Jesus. We're all worshiping the same God and going to walk into the light anyway. And you see these two united. Now, he's going to describe the beast. Verse 6, I saw the woman who, who was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. So again, false church, we who believe in Jesus, who are on the planet at the time, say, hey, you guys are against the Bible, you're not from God, you're from the devil, and they get killed, they get martyred. When I saw, I was greatly astonished. Verse 7, then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast. Because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. Okay, now hold on to that. I'll tell you what it means. Verse 9, this calls for a mind with wisdom. 
the seven heads are the seven hills on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king, and he belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. Now let me tell you what that means. In history, you see seven world powers that have come into play. You've got the Assyrians, you've got the Egyptians, or I think that's reversed, Egyptians, Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, Rome, and then he says one was, one is now, and one is, is to come. That's Rome, okay? There once was one, that's the Greeks, there's one now, that's the Roman Empire, and then there's going to be one that comes. That's the eighth king. That is the revised Roman Empire. That is a political leader who is going to be in charge of what we call the European Union right now. That's going to be the meaning of the ten horns. Watch this, verse 12. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour receive authorities as kings as along with the beast. Or along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. That is us. Okay, so you see what he's saying, who the beast is? Go back to chapter 13. This beast that's mentioned here that has got an alliance with a religious system is a revised governmental system that goes all the way back the Egyptians, the Assyrians, Medo-Persians, Babylonians, all the way down the list. Okay? And we've got what's called a revised Roman Empire. We've got a unification, a coming back of the ten toes of the statue. The Roman Empire that was dispersed into ten identifiable powers and never come back together again. You don't have one single person ruling this planet after the third century. Prior to that, you did. What we're going to see in this end times is we're going to see one world government and one person ruling it. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me. This guy here mentioned in chapter 13 is the guy that's going to run the show. Now look how he gets his power. The dragon gave his beast his power, his throne, and his authority. He is indwelt by Satan. He is possessed by Satan. Is the Antichrist alive today? Is this person alive today? Yes, he is. But I think that Satan has had someone to fit this bill in every generation. He does not know when. He knows what. He knows the events that will happen. He has a Bible, but he does not know when it will kick off. So he has got somebody ready in every generation to fit this bill. Now let's take a look at his characteristics. Let's take a look at what he'll do. Okay? says, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. In some of your versions, it says, one of the heads of the beast had been slain. That's the exact same word as back in chapter 5, in verse 6, where John says, I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Now, you've got a guy here, and it says this three times. Verse 3, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. What's a fatal wound? It means he's dead. Fatal. V, what is it? R.I.P. Rest in peace. You're gone. 
It says it here. It says it in verse 12. It says that this guy makes him worship the beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And then it says it also again in verse 14. It says he ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword, yet he lived. My personal take is that this world leader is going to step up to the plate and either he is going to be assassinated or he's going to get into an accident and he is going to be pronounced dead and he's going to come back from the dead. Now, nobody can raise someone from the dead except for God. Satan can do every miracle that Christ did except for raise someone from the dead. We saw that back in Moses and Aaron day. When they do a miracle, the magicians and the... Uh, Astrologers would come in and do the same thing, except for when you brought gnats from the dust. They couldn't do that. Is this guy going to rise from the dead? I think it's going to be a deception. Either he's got a clone, which is possible in our time of day, or it's just going to be a big scam that he's going to put this thing on, you know, like a play, like he's going to get assassinated or killed, and all of a sudden, miraculously, he comes back from the dead. But I do know this. It says the world is astonished, and they will follow him. Now, what you see in the book of Revelation is a mockery. Well, I shouldn't call it a mockery, but a Christ wannabe. Satan, from the beginning, has wanted to be God. He wanted to lift himself up above the throne of God, above the angels of God, Isaiah 14. And he's cast down to the earth. He tried to create his own race of people. In the book of Revelation, you see the dragon. You see the beast that comes out of the sea, which is the political antichrist. And you're going to see a beast that comes out of the earth, which is the religious antichrist an unholy trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, basically. You're going to see him give a mark to his people on the earth, and they have to put it on their forehead or on their hand. In the Old Testament, God told the Israelites to keep the word of God on their forehead or on their hand. And you're going to see this motif all throughout the book of Revelation. Here, again, you've got a guy, a world leader, who seemingly is killed and he rises from the dead, like Jesus Christ himself. And that's who people are going to deem him to be. They're going to deem him to be God himself. Okay? It says, The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? Now, again, remember, the Bible says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. This isn't going to be some evil-looking guy on the surface. This guy is going to come out with the appearance of being a world redeemer a world unifier, and he's going to be doing that. And people are going to think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But it's a deception, because who are they really worshiping? Are they worshiping God or someone who's good? They're worshiping the devil. That's what this text means. Now, Jesus said that he will give such a powerful delusion that even the elect would perish. They would be deceived, but they aren't because they're elect. That's how powerful and convincing it's going to be. This guy's going to be a charismatic political leader. And everybody's going to buy into him who is not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, it says, The beast was giving a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. That's three and a half years. And I believe that this is the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. Verse 6, it says, He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He's given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. Anybody who goes up against them, because basically if you're a true believer on the planet and there'll be people who come to faith during the tribulation period, there's 144,000 Jews that are receiving the Holy Spirit at the beginning and go all the way through. 
And anybody who goes against this guy, because anybody who is a true believer is going to say, you're from the devil. You're not of God. I don't care what you say, you're of the devil. Here, are you lining up with Scripture? No. Are you proclaiming to be God? Yes. The Bible says, and you should be stoned. Okay? So he was given authority for... He was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. So he will be a world leader. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, that is. Belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. And I like that because you're reading along and you're looking at this guy, and if you're at that time period, you're reading you're going, this guy's going to have incredible power. Who can withstand and then there's that little end note. Don't worry about it. You whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you who are believers, Jesus Christ is still sitting on the throne. And he's still running the show. So in verse 9, if anyone goes into captivity, you go. Don't worry about it. It's only temporary. If anyone is to be killed, don't worry about it. Jesus said, don't worry about those who can kill the flesh, but those who kill the flesh and the soul. You're going to get a new body. Don't worry about it. With the sword he'll be killed. This called for patience, endurance, and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Okay? So that's a pretty sobering text on who this fella is, where he comes from, and how he's empowered and what he will do. It's real sobering for you and I because what's the movement of the planet at this point in history? We are rapidly moving to this great crescendo in human history. So we will have a united economical system that's right around the corner. Technologically, we're set up for it. Every one of us can have a transponder chip put in us that can locate us anywhere on the face of the planet. We can do all our financial transactions through it. It'll give off all your dental records, genealogy, medical history, whatever. And it cannot be duplicated. Someone tries to, and guess where it's going to go on your, on your hand here on your forehead. I've got articles. I'm going to print some off, I think, and try to get them to you. You can go on the internet and let's look up transponder chip. Look at all the information out there. Military is using it right now. Technology is here. The hard part is trying to get people to accept it. Nobody wants to be branded or marked like an animal. All right? But let me give you some Old Testament passages. Let's take them that last 10 minutes and just kind of try to put together, let's piece together some passages and try to see what this guy is going to look like. Go back to Daniel. And believe it or not, he gives us a great picture of what this guy will do, his, his attributes, some of the things he will accomplish. Start off in Daniel 7. Look at verse 8. We kind of went over this. 7, 8. So far, so good, gang? Hang with me. Now, 1 through 7, he went through the beasts, like I just mentioned. In verse 8, he says, while I was thinking about the horns, and he talks about this frightening beast. Look at verse 7. We'll go, we'll go over it. After that, my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. Again, the Roman Empire. It was different from the, all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one which came up among them. <clears throat> so he is going to come up from this ten-nation confederation, the European Union that's in place right now. He is going to rise up out of it. 
He's going to be a power. That's the idea of a horn. It says he uproots three of the horns that were there. Now, either he unites them politically or he exercises military, military power and makes them submit. Don't know. But they're joined with him. The horn, he said, had eyes like the eyes of a man, which means intelligent and wisdom, personal, and a mouth that spoke boastfully, meaning he is not of God. He's against God. He's an anti-Christ. All right? Now, go to 8.23, and he speaks of him more. Now, he talks about these kings that are going to come and reign. He says, in the latter part of their reign, this is the tribulation period, when rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, darkness, basically, will arise, and he will become very strong, but not by his own power, but by Satan. We just saw that. Satan gives him his throne, his power, and his authority. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. That's scary. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. Anybody who comes against him who says to him, you are not from God, you're from the devil, you're gone. We saw, remember, the two witnesses that could not be killed. Anybody who went against them, they'd call down fire from heaven and destroy them. But this political leader goes up and he kills them, which gives him more credibility, more power. And it says he will cause deceit to prosper and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet, he will be destroyed, but not by human power. Meaning Christ will come and it lines up with the statue, rock not cut up by human hands, and crush all government, including the Antichrist. We'll go to the book of Revelation. What we'll see is when Christ comes, he will pick up like Gulliver would to a little Lilliputian. That's what you call those kid, those little things. Pick them up by the scruff of the neck and toss them bodily in the lake of fire, the false political leader and the false religious leader. After the thousand-year period, hell gives up her dead. They're given bodies and they're thrown into the lake of fire. And the Bible says where the false political leader, this Antichrist, and the religious leader are still there burning. That's what will happen. He will be defeated a stern-faced king. And it's interesting, it says, when they feel secure, he will destroy many, take his stand against them, or against the prince of prince. What we saw in Revelation 17, the world governmental leader being rowed by the religious leader. Later on, what you see is he turns like a bad western and wipes out this false religious system. Basically uses her indictment for his own agenda, and then turns and destroys. That's what that means. Okay? Let's keep going. Look at 926. Well, let's not go there. Let's go to 1136. 1136. More things about this stern-faced king. It says, the king will do as he pleases. 1136. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. Let me read you something. 2 Thessalonians, you don't have to turn there. Just write it down. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says this. Verse 
Paul, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and us being gathered together, don't be deceived. He says, don't be unsettled by some report saying that this has already happened. He says, let me give you some of the events that are going to take place before the coming of Christ. He says, that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. This is this guy we're talking about, the Antichrist. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Did you see that movie that came out? What was it called? Final Countdown? Was that it? Or The Omega Code? Great movie. It shows this guy going and doing that. Now, obviously, the temple's going to be rebuilt. They're close to doing that right now. This guy is going to go in the temple, proclaim himself to be God. Paul says in verse 5, he says, Don't you remember that when, you, when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what's holding him back, so that he is revealed at the proper time. It says, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the words of Satan, or the works of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. And in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Jesus Christ, the only way to heaven. Ah, that's your opinion. We're all worshiping the same God. Forget it. They refuse to love the truth. God says, for this reason, God will send them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Daniel 36, 11:36, it says, he will exalt and magnify himself above every God. It says, he will be successful until the time of wrath is completed, but what has been determined must take place. Verse 37, he will show no regard for the gods of his fathers. No regard for Yahweh. A lot of people say because of that verse that he is a Jew. That this guy possibly a Jewish person. Don't know. Makes sense. But don't know for certain. But we do know for certain he comes out of this European Union and that's together. This revised Roman Empire. Or for the one desired by a woman and that's Christ. Okay? And that time, in Daniel's time, who did the women desire to come? The Messiah. They knew it would come through a woman. The seed of the woman. It says, nor will he regard any God, but will exalt himself above them all. So this guy has no regard for God, for the Messiah, but just for himself. Instead of them, he will honor a God of fortresses, a God unknown to his fathers. He will honor with gold, silver, with precious stones, and costly gifts. That's Satan. He will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign god, and he will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. And he will make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. And so people are going to follow him. He is going to have dominion over the entire world. We saw that in Revelation. We see it here. Anyone who follows him, he's going to give them perks. And the peoples of the earth are going to be deceived by this guy because he's going to be performing miracle signs and wonders. And they're going to go, this guy must be from God. Another reason I don't think that you see miracle signs and wonders in our day through human entities. And God has turned that out and the waters are flat. And so if you see anything pop up from there, you can say this must be from the devil or the Antichrist. Okay? It says at that time of the end of the kings of the... Well, we won't get into that. But you can see, you can get a picture of this guy, how he will be. Okay? He'll have no regards for the things of God and so forth. He will exalt himself, claim himself to be God, and he'll have a great number of people and nations following him. Last one, 12.11. Watch this. 
it says from that time what he'll do is he'll abolish the daily sacrifices and he'll commit the abomination that causes desolation that's set up there. In Daniel 9, we see that's what he'll do. In the middle of it, he'll commit the abomination and desolation, meaning he'll go into the temple, proclaim himself to be God, and desecrate it because there is only one God. In the Maccabean period, the intertestinal period, between Malachi and Matthew, if you will, Antiochus Epiphanes went into the temple and he sacrificed a pig on the altar and desecrated it. In Matthew 24, Jesus says this, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination and desolation spoken of in Daniel, know this, the end is near. You've got three and a half years and it's over. And this guy, I believe in that last three and a half year period, is going to rise to power. Okay? We'll stop there. You got a better picture of this guy and what he will do? He's going to unify the world economically. We're moving towards that run right now. One world cashless society. That's what we're going to. He's going to unify us militarily, governmentally. We've already got a European Union in place. Uh, all this stuff with the World Trade Organization, all the stuff that's going on politically is moving towards that. And then religiously, we're moving towards that. Next week, we'll look at this religious leader, what he'll do to unify all the religions of the world and then make a joining, an alliance with this political leader. See, the great thing about studying the book of Revelation today is all this stuff is happening while we're speaking. <clears throat> I'm going to show you some stuff on the mark of the beast that you can sit down with somebody and say, look at this, this is a 2,000-year-old document. How did they know back then that all this stuff would be coming about like it is, technologically wise and everything? So it's a great time to be able to sit down with somebody and witness to them with everything that's going on politically. Let me read you something. Let me see. Uh, listen to what Lenin said. Lenin said that the surest way to overthrow an existing social order is to debauch the currency, to unite us economically. I've got some other stuff, but we're out of time. But I'll keep giving it to you. Okay, any questions, come talk to me. Call me up on the phone. You won't be bothering me. My number is in the bulletin. Call me up. I'm up here on Wednesdays. We've got a little office over at Bob Burlingame's place on Travis and 75 right there kind of on that corner. Okay?